0: win stacks of cash by entering the 150k crack the code giveaway
1: Hey there, and welcome to episode 18 of the the Stats podcast, produced by Wicked Local North Boston. I'm your host, Ron McKittrick. Joining me today is Barcel Sports Celtics and NBA blogger, Dan Greenberg. Greenie, thanks so much for joining me.
0: No problem. How's it going? It's going well. Now,
1: Dan, we have to start with the recent big blockbuster trade between the Lakers and the Pelicans. Mm-hmm. I thought the Pelicans got a great return on the deal, and I'm glad the Celtics didn't want to give up that much for essentially a one-year rental and Anthony Davis, what was your immediate reaction when you heard the news?
0: I mean, I can't say I was surprised. I mean, all where all the signs were sort of pointing to that happening. I think with each new sort of nugget of Kyrie looking more and more like he was not going to stay. I think any Celtic fan that still thought that you know Ainge would mortgage the future and take that risk on a guy that I think we all know wouldn't stay here past a year. Um, you knew he was going to go to the Lakers. It was just now. You know, what, what is the price going to be? How much were they going to have to overpay to sort of trump all the offers? And once you look at what they gave up, you know, the the Celts couldn't match that. They weren't apparently weren't willing to give up Tatum. You know, I think it would have been pretty crazy for them to give up the draft picks that, you know, the Lakers did just in terms of, you know, for the next five, six years, they won't have anything to build around once the is gone. So, It was more just like it was expected, but I wasn't expecting it to happen at, like, 6 o'clock on Saturday. I think (laughs) I was waiting a little bit longer into the summer. But, um, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I'm just glad that, you know, Ainge used his head and not his heart. And, you know, we'll just have to see where they go from here.
1: I thought it was surprising for the Lakers that they would be willing to give up that much for a guy who they could get next year because it seems like he's been wanting to go to L.A., Do you think the Lakers get up too much? Is it just because LeBron's timing is going down every year and they want to take advantage of it? It just seemed like a lot to give for a guy that could get next year just in free agency.
0: Yeah, but he's also probably going to, you know, I think the Lakers know that he's most likely going to stay and sign long-term. So I think that's why they were probably open to doing it. I think also the pressure of maximizing LeBron's years there had something to do with it. And listen, like if you knew... If, if the Celtics knew that Anthony Davis was going to sign a long-term extension, I think everybody would be down for, you know, giving whatever it took to get him. So that probably made it a little easier for the Lakers to, to swallow that bullet because they did get a 26-year-old stud. It's just, you know, it's just a, a product of being who they are that sort of made their situation different than I think a lot of other teams.
1: Now I want to talk about the Celtics, but I first want to transition to the NBA Finals briefly. The Raptors – Recently beat the Warriors to win it all. Durant ruptured his Achilles. Clay tore his ACL to end the series. And it really just looked like the Warriors had nothing left. What did you make of the finals overall in the Raptors' run? Because for myself, I didn't give the Raptors that much credit in Kawhi Leonard. But after seeing them play, it was really impressive. And Kawhi really seemed like the best player in the league to end the
0: playoffs. Yeah, I thought they were fantastic. I thought, you know, when you match them up with a Kevin Durantless Warriors team, I mean, it was a coin flip. And I think that just is a testament to their defense, the, you know, how Kawhi played, how Fred Van played. Even Kyle Lowry was pretty great throughout the entire playoffs. I think he had one dud against Orlando, like in the first round. But, you know, I got really annoyed when people were tweeting me like, oh, the Raptors won. What a blown opportunity for the Celtics. Like, the Raptors hit a level that the Celtics never got to at any point this season. So I think it was a a well-deserved title. I'm not putting an asterisk next to it just because being healthy is part of the formula in winning a title. And the Warriors got injury help in in their runs. So they were just – they were so good defensively, and they had a guy go to a supernova level, which is usually what it takes to – to beat a team like Golden State, even after, you know, the injuries, which is tough, like they're still the Warriors and they still won, you know, plenty of games with guys out. So I, I just have to tip your cap to Toronto because they were they were really, really good.
1: Yeah. And the Raptors were a better team than the Celtics. The Bucks were a better team than the Celtics. If you look at talent for talent in the Celtics play up to their capabilities, it is frustrating, though, to look at what could have been when the Warriors got banged up and if the Celtics played like we thought they could. But obviously, a million things went wrong. Gordon Hayward was brutal, never really get back to himself. The chemistry was terrible. The heart didn't seem to be in it for a lot of the guys, most specifically Kyrie Irving, who was brutal in the playoffs against the Bucks. You had a good tweet during the Bruins series, and you tweeted, quote, "'Please look into obtaining some of Char's blood and injecting it into every player in next year's roster.'"
0: <laughs> True. I hope I want them to still do that.
1: (laughs) And it seems like they just didn't have the right character and chemistry. And from your tweet, it really suggests that you also questioned the team's heart and toughness like I did. What did you make of the misery that was the Celtics season and how it ended? Because from a Celtics fan and I am a diehard fan, it was simply embarrassing to watch how this series unfolded against the Bucs.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of it was they were, you know, probably a little embarrassed that they didn't meet their expectations throughout the year and, you know they got into the playoffs and when they told us all not to worry and then they swept Indiana and maybe they were you know thinking that they were going to ride right the ship or this is really who we were supposed to be but that was i mean we didn't make these moves and have these expectations to beat the pacers it was to beat the bucks to beat the raptors and to get to the finals and then you know they lost game 2 and I think we were still all feeling good because really all you had to do was split. And then once they lost game three in the garden, that's just when things, things cratered. And I think, you know, Kyrie struggling the way he did. I think people probably resented him because he was the one that was doing all the talking about how, you know, they just had to wait for him. And he, this is why they brought him here. And he had the four worst games of his postseason career. And, uh, it was just a situation where that I think was the boiling point where. It was a sort of here we go again type situation where, you know, maybe they realized that, you know, as constructed, just something wasn't working. Guys, the chemistry wasn't working. And as a result, we saw what we did, which was just underachievement and a complete collapse. And that's sort of how I would group their whole season is just, you know, this team was great on paper. It was great for stretches, but they just could never put it together. And in the first sign of adversity, they just they crumbled. And that was just the most disappointing part.
1: And there are plenty of guys to blame for the whole season. Obviously, Kyrie Irving's at the top of the list. Terry Rozier, I thought was terrible. Gordon Hayward, as I said, was inconsistent. The young guys seem to have more of an ego this year. Jason Tatum taking tough shots. I thought he had too much one-on-one play throughout the whole season. And I even throw Brad Stevens on the list. I kind of put him at the bottom because I am a Brad guy. But I've said it on my podcast before. If you give Brad Stevens a lot of credit when guys overachieve with a less talented group, then if they underachieve and their chemistry issues, that does fall a lot on the coach. How much blame do you put on Brad for the job he did this year? Because I was disappointed with him, and I'm a big Brad guy.
0: I mean, I think he deserves his fair share of the pie, right? Like, it's on him to figure out rotations. It's on him to motivate his team. It's on him to figure out, you know, have the guts when a guy doesn't have it to to take him out. And I don't think he did that to start the year probably the way that he should have. But, you know, at some point, the players have to play, right? Like, he can only do – so much but you know his inability to call timeouts and stop runs his you know inability to manage these superstar egos i think this was probably the biggest learning experience of his career and i'm curious to see how he looks next year especially if kyrie has gone and it goes back to these young guys like it wouldn't surprise me if all those same issues are no longer there because he doesn't have that sort of you know star top 10 top 15 player mentality on his team. But, you know, I, I think everybody, him and Ainge, you know, you, you could argue that, you know, Ainge not trading Rosier was a big deal, but at the same time, you know, you had to have Kyrie insurance given his injury history. So you can't fault him, but at the same time it, it blew up in his face. And I think those were some of the chemistry issues that plagued them all year. And then Terry didn't have the best postseason either. So it just kind of all added up as a giant shit storm, which was rather unfortunate.
1: Doc Rivers was the coach of the team. Do you think that they would have played better, gone further? Do you think there would have been any less chemistry issues or was this just Kyrie Irving and the players not getting it done?
0: Um, I don't know. I mean, it just depends if if the rotations and everything else had been the exact same, I don't think it would have mattered if Doc was the coach or if Brad was the coach, right? Like right. if Terry's only playing 12 to 15 minutes a night, like it doesn't matter who his coach is, right? If if Gordon Hayward is still put in before, maybe he's ready, and you know the, it causes a rift between Jalen and Tatum and whoever. Like that's not going to matter. Maybe Kyrie respects Doc a little bit more than he respected Brad, but I don't think I don't think that solves uh, what we saw.
1: Now I do want to talk about your career at Barstool, Dan. But before we do that, we have to talk about NBA free agency briefly. I've talked about it on the podcast a little bit. Classic NBA things are changing all the time. Most recently, it sounds like Kyrie Irving will probably go to the Nets, but again, you never know in the NBA. You wrote in a recent blog, quote, you certainly are left with the impression that things are a wrap for Kyrie in Boston. There were some rumors yesterday. I know you blogged about it, guys, on Sports Radio. were talking about it, that he might be moving right now with his home, I believe was in Weston or something like that. Do you think he'll go to Brooklyn? And if he goes to Brooklyn or if he just leaves to go somewhere else, how hated will Kyrie Irving be when he comes to the Garden compared to other Boston sports enemies?
0: Um, I do think he's going to Brooklyn. I mean, the the guy who runs Rock Nation, his twin brother is like a president of the of the Nets. Um, I don't think that's an accident. Um, I don't know about the move. I blogged the moving story. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's fun to do because, like, you know, Twitter rumors are everything. But right. like, for all we know, the guy that owned the house was just selling it, and Kyrie's moving somewhere else. So that's all in good fun. But. Um, if he does leave, I think it depends on where he goes. I think he'll be hated no matter what. Uh, if he goes to Brooklyn, I mean, personally, I want him to go to the Lakers just because I feel like get out of the conference, get out of the division. And then you're, you're pairing him with LeBron and the Laker hatred and all that. I think that'd be best. But yeah, I mean, he's going to become one of the biggest Boston villains, uh, in recent memory, just because He was the guy that was supposed to be the cornerstone player that we used assets to get. And then he, you know, burns you, sort of ruins your plan for Anthony Davis at the same time, goes to a team in your division. I mean, the whole thing would be juicy, but there's no uh, there's no doubt that he's going to be. I mean, I don't know who would some of the other ones be like a Roger Clemens or like who would some of your other all time villains be?
1: In terms of NBA players, I guess Ray Allen kind of, because he went to LeBron. LeBron James, obviously, even though he didn't play for Boston, but in terms of villains coming into the Garden. In terms of other sports, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Ellsbury, but not really. He went to the Yankees. Johnny Damon, he went to the Yankees. But again, he was still a likable guy. You know, there aren't that many guys I can think of that leave teams in Boston that <laughs> in such a negative way. And it really speaks to Kai Irving in the tough season he had here.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's unfortunate. And it was obviously, I mean, listen, even to this day, I still get killed for my initial reaction to when that whole trade went down. But this is, this is what I was nervous about. I was nervous about his injury history. I was nervous about his contract situation. You know, I, I wanted, I'm mad at him because I wanted to believe everything he told me from, when he was here in October saying he was going to stay to in April when he said, just trust me, I'll carry you in the playoffs. Like everything was a lie. Nothing turned out how he said it was going to. So maybe that's my own personal sort of issue that I'm just mad at him for. But uh, yeah, we haven't seen too much like this. And it's just, it's crazy to think that, you know, given they, given how smart the team rebuilt themselves and, you know, they, were you know prudent in their free agent decisions to then have a something thrown like this back in your face it's a tough pill to swallow but they're not dead like there's still a lot of talent on this team they're certainly not where they would be if they traded for davis and then davis left so it's just he's going to become a villain he's going to get booed and then he'll probably score 40 and (laughs) the nets will probably lose and that'll be how it goes
1: well, I'll believe it when I see it with Kyrie. He's a guy that I don't take any rumor for face value, and he could change his mind tomorrow for all we know. So, But I do want to transition to your career, Dan, to, to wrap up and end the podcast. Yep. As I said, you're a Celtics and NBA blogger for Barstool Sports, very popular sports media website. For those who don't know, it's really blown up, especially in the last few years. People are really fascinated with Barstool people that work there. How did you first start working at Barstool in the first place?
0: So it was um, kind of a prayer situation. I was um, just looking for work in my normal life. Uh, I was in between advertising agencies and uh, I was so bored that I just like started a, a website just to blog about the Celtics, not to like think, oh, one day I'm going to, you know, join Barstool just to kill time. And then it was right around the time that uh, they traded for Isaiah and uh, Dave had tweeted something out about Isaiah that matched something I had just written. And, you know, I was a nobody on Twitter, had like, I don't know, like a hundred followers, like a nobody, nobody, nobody. And I just tweeted it at him. And I guess he clicked it and read it. And then he followed me for five seconds and DM me and asked me if I had anything else I wanted to send him. And then he unfollowed me. Uh, and then I sent him some stuff. And like a couple days later, I had a login and um, that was it. And I did it for, um, for free for a long time, you know, while still working a normal nine to five. Um, then eventually got a little bit of money just to, you know, cover my car payment and whatnot, and, right. but was still doing it, you know, as on the side as, you know, working 40, 50 hours a week. And, um, and then this past October made the jump to full time. So it was, you know, kind of, a uh, interesting story where like, you know, I'm not involved in the office. I'm not this huge internet personality. I'm just proof that if you want to do it, just do it and stay committed to it. And you never know because he's not lying when he says if you send him something, he'll read it. And if he likes it, he'll get back to you.
1: And how have you enjoyed your experience so far? You said you started full-time in October. It seems like it's been up and down in terms of people who follow the site. It seems like there's been a lot of drama between you in Portnoy talking about how you're going to be fired if the Celtics season was over. How has been the experience for you? Yeah,
0: I don't know. It's it's cool, man. I mean, for me, it's all just content. Uh, I've never met him like face to face, so it's a little weird right. to to hear that stuff when like we've never even met. But you know, I don't take it personally. I think <clears throat> you can't. You have to have the thick skin. You know, he can make fun of me, call me wallpaper, call me whatever, rain delay, whatever. <laughs> like, none of that really matters to me. You know, the check's still clear. I still get to log in every day and, and do something that's really fun. So, uh, it's a little weird just because, like I said, we've never even like met or talked to each other or anything like that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it certainly helped. Uh, I mean, my numbers are pretty good. We get an email every week and, and things look good there. So, Uh, I can thank him for that, but you never know because you don't know if it's for content or if he's really serious. So uh, there were some tense moments back in February, but you just kind of have to roll with it and then realize that, like, of all the things going on and as big as Barstool has gotten and all the things he's, you know, worried about and focusing on, like, he's not really thinking about (laughs) me. So, you know, that's the – they always say, like – Usually it's bad if your boss like doesn't talk to you. I feel like here, if you can just like ride under the radar and, you know, just do your thing, it'll, it'll work out. But I have, you know, I have no problems. I'm, I couldn't be happier. It's been it's been a lot of fun. And, you know, it's everything I thought it would be when I was up at two in the morning, you know, writing blogs before I had to go to work, just thinking of you know what that life might be once it happened.
1: And how much of the drama do you think is real drama or is it played up for the cameras and radio that people see between whether it's you and Portnoy or other co-workers at Barstool?
0: Um, I think it's real. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that he made, especially in my case, like I don't think, you know, anything he was saying in the moment was contrived. I right. just think, you know, he'll say it and then you know, he'll go on to the next thing and maybe forget about it. So um, I, don't, I don't like I truly he probably really does think I'm this boring wallpaper, you know, paint drying type person. But again, that's fine by me because, you know, you can tell me whatever you want as long as my login still works like that's all I really care about. So um, and obviously being a fan of the site for, you know, since 2010 when I first got back to Boston and, you know, I know how things work. I'm, I'm hardly the only you know, a barstool employee that gets some shit every now and again. So it's, it's really nothing to me. But no, I don't think he's just all making it up. I think he believes it in that moment. You just kind of have to grit your teeth and plow through it and make it through that shit storm. And then things are, are usually okay.
1: What has it been like for you to go from a guy who has about a hundred or so followers on Twitter to now a very recognizable name in the sports media field and really a public figure almost in a way, has that been hard for you? Has it been hard to deal with the backlash you may see on Twitter and social media of anyone who's in the public eye?
0: Um, It's a little, it's a little bit of a different sort of way to live. Um, I I think you know, again, I'm not a public persona. You know, I don't consider myself a journalist. Right. Um, I don't consider myself media or anything like that. I'm just a guy that loves to talk about the Celtics and talk about you know basketball and things like that. Um, but it is a little surreal. Like you can never, you can never read the comments and only pay attention to the good or only pay attention to the bad. Like the internet is going to have trolls. There's going to be people that call for your job and tag your boss and tell you you suck. And then there's going to be people that really enjoy what you do. And I've always approached it like, listen, I'm coming. I'm not a a barstool employee that, you know, this is my only job, right? Like I've suffered in the cubes. I've had terrible, you know, sales jobs where you just want to kill yourself. I've had these jobs where you're looking for anything to be an escape. So I just approach it like, listen, I just want to create content that's going to help fellow normal, regular people in the cubes kill time at work. So when I get feedback of like, hey, this really helped me, you know, get through the day or, you know, I'm going through shit and, you know, your blogs, I always look forward to them. They help me sort of cope with that. That's always great. And that's not something I certainly expected when I first started, but it is weird because, you know, like I see oh, I have all these Twitter followers. Great. But like, that's a drop in the ocean compared to everybody else at Barstool. So, you know, you it's important to have a little bit of perspective where like, you know, it's people do read your stuff. And and there are people that are just going to hate on you to hate on you. You just have to say, as long as you can look at your work and, and be proud and and stand by what you do, like that stuff doesn't matter. But it's It's certainly been a trip because like I said, like I'm not on videos, I'm not on in the office, I don't have like that exposure. Um, So it is cool to see that I've been able to build whatever audience I do have. But it's certainly not something where like, I now think I'm anything special, like who the hell I'm just no I'm a nobody still. So it is all just it takes some getting used to but you know, as long as people enjoy what I put out, that's really all that matters.
1: Well, I think you have a really good attitude about it for myself in particular. It wasn't even an adjustment for me, and I'm only a journalist at a small-time newspaper in Medford, Mass., and you're going to see emails and angry stuff on Facebook and Twitter, and I think you have a really good attitude about it. And you seem like a really generally good guy, Greeny, so I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Is there anything you want people to know about that I didn't ask about?
0: Um, I don't know. Just please keep reading. Please keep clicking. Tell some friends to click, you know, click on the box, I guess. I mean, it's – it's uh, it's always appreciated when you know the, the hard work is actually received and people actually reading it. So you know, thank you to everyone that already does that. If you're a new person and a new fan, you know, hope you enjoy it. But um, you know, that's pretty much it. I'm not going anywhere, as far as I know, so it'll be up there.
1: Well, make sure to follow Dan Greenberg on Twitter at Stool Greeny. He has a ton of great Celtics and NBA thoughts all the time. So make sure to give him a follow. Greeny, thanks again for joining me so much. I really appreciate it.
0: Anytime, man. Thank you.
1: Thanks so much to Dan Greenberg for joining the podcast. It was really interesting to hear his perspective on both his career at Barstool Sports, but also on the NBA and the Celtics overall. I think it was enough Celtics talk, but right when we ended the podcast, news came out that Al Horford has opted out of his deal with the Celtics and now will become a free agent. So it was unfortunate it came out right after we did the podcast. But again, that'll be an interesting one to see. Obviously, we all want Al back, especially if Kyrie's gone. He's really a key to this team so that'll be one thing to focus on if you're a Celtics fan going forward but two things I wanted to end the podcast with number one is the Bruins and it was a real unfortunate game seven for the Bruins against the Blues last week on Wednesday night we were all hoping for a parade a three-peat and it didn't happen and when it became 2 nothing to end the first period, that's when I think we all knew, even myself not being a hockey expert, that this game was over. It's really hard to come back against the Blues in terms of their slow style of play and physical play, and when they came down 2-0 after Martian came off, with about 10 seconds left to end the first period, that really seemed to be the game. It was depressing. It was unfortunate, but you still got to give the Bruins players a lot of credit. They've battled through a lot of adversity in the playoffs throughout the season, and it really just showed the difference of character between the Bruins players and the Celtics players. And when I look at the post-game press conferences between the players, especially Kyrie Irving and the other leaders for the Bruins, such as Patrice Bergeron, Marshand, Chara, the level of camaraderie and passion between the Bruins is very refreshing, almost like a college-like passion and camaraderie and you could see they really cared about each other. Guys were crying. Chara was almost crying. Martian was. Pasternak was. And it was really nice to see, especially after a, t- a group like the Celtics, who just didn't seem like they cared that much, especially Kyrie Irving. who said he wasn't even disappointed and looking forward to seeing the next series without them even in it. And so just to see the reaction of how much those guys cared was nice to see. Transitioning to the Red Sox. To end the podcast, they're on a six-game winning streak. It definitely seems like things are starting to come together at the right time for this group. Porcello was awesome last night. Sale has been fantastic. Price wasn't great in his last start, but he's been good all year. As long as the starting pitching starts to come together and the bats are rolling right now, the relief should be able to figure itself out, just like it did last season. Obviously, the relief is the biggest concern, and it's going to be a continued concern. But if the starting pitching and the bats are alive, I think they'll get into the playoffs. And they just need to get to the playoffs. Obviously, a wild card game isn't ideal, but I think the mentality for at least me is get the Red Sox to the playoffs. If they are in the one game wild card, hopefully they'll win that with Sale or Price or whoever they want to throw in the first game. And the bullpen will hopefully figure it out in the playoffs and leave starters, and hopefully they'll get a guy at the deadline. I think that's kind of the mentality you have to take if you're a Red Sox fan right now. But the team looks like they're playing more like they did last year. I know the Orioles are terrible, but just in terms of being aggressive on the base pass, having timely hits, having great starting pitching, those are all things they did last year that we weren't really seeing as much. And it's good they're going to start to see that. I think one guy who I've really focused on this season is Andrew Bogart. And Bogarts has been really good, he had a really good last season for the team, and when he was in the minors, people talked about Bogarts and how he could really be a 30-30 guy, and we didn't see that power when he came in. We saw the average, we saw him get off to a good start, but then he got hurt, and I was one of the guys that didn't really want to sign him, because he seemed like Ellsbury to me where he was inconsistent, the power wasn't necessarily there. He had a lot of injuries. It seemed like he was on the downward turn a couple of years ago, but last year really a bounce back season this year, he's even having a better year. And I think when you look at that contract for Xander Bogarts, great signing for the Red Sox. And I'm going to say myself that I was wrong a couple of years ago saying they shouldn't sign this guy. It looks like he's healthy. It looks like the reason why he wasn't hitting for power before was because he was hurt. And now that he is healthy, he is strong. He just looks great. So Xander in the middle of the order. Also Devers as well, because I haven't talked about this team as much. Devers, is really blossomed into a young player as well for him, a lot more consistent as a hitter this year than he was last year. And those are two guys that, going forward, have really been, in my eyes, the most positive hitters on the team this year. But I like where the Sox are at. And I think we can all hope for good things for the Sox this year after the six-game win streak. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to check out my other episodes on the Wicked Local North of Boston website or on my social media accounts. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Robbie McKittrick for the latest podcast. Thanks so much for listening.